Well, good morning. It is great to see each one here today. Thank you for taking the extra effort to come out and, uh, and be faithful in your attendance where you can, and we just really appreciate that. Um, as we continue our study in the book of Psalms, today we're going to cover Psalm 33. So if you want to look in your Bible for that, if you want to, and I have some notes in the outline that you can follow if you are interested in doing that. But I just want to walk through Psalm 33. It's a fairly familiar psalm to me. Our family um, memorized it together on a vacation way back when Becky was a little girl. And then um, in recent years, our Wednesday night group or the Sunday school group, I can't remember which one of the kids, but the kids groups memorized Psalm 33 and quoted it for us as a church a number of times. And so it's really quite a, uh, an interesting and in my own development a, a, a significant psalm in my understanding of the Lord. And in particular, it has a phrase in it that talks about the eyes of the Lord watch us or are watching us and he considers everything we do. And so it's in that context then that I want to focus our message today on that idea. So let me read it for you first and then We'll uh, work our way through it carefully and understand what it has to say for us. Psalm 33 um, starts with, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into jars, and he puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all humankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord, he is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. 
May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we uh, ask that your spirit would be present here today to illuminate your word to us, that we would understand it more clearly, um, that we would understand your purpose for us. There's many ways to look at this psalm, but we just ask for special guidance today as we look at it. And Father, we just pray that our hearts would be moved to realize that our hope is in you. It needs to be there. Purge from us, purge from our hearts the idols in which we trust, the other places we go for comfort. May we be a people who are true to you as you have been true to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, First of all, I would like to talk about the Lord. I don't know if you notice, but in the, uh, in the psalm, the word Lord appears a number of times, and it's capitalized, L-O-R-D, with all caps, which signifies to us in our English translation that this is the name of God. This isn't the title Lord like an Adonai. This is the, the name of God, Yahweh, the name that he gave Moses when Moses asked the Lord, what, uh, what shall I say to the people of Israel? Who are you? What, what name shall I give them? He said, my name is I am. I am the existent one. And so this is the Lord. He's great in power and in, in might. And he's the one that we're supposed to be understanding. And so I have a number of subpoints that I pick up from the psalm about who this Lord is. So I just want to take this first point and kind of expand it with uh, four subpoints. But the first one is that this Lord... This Yahweh is worthy of praise. Notice how the psalm starts. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It's fitting for the upright to praise him. So this, uh, this Lord, this master, this God, this self-existent one is worthy of our praise. It's fitting for us. It's fitting for anyone who is upright to praise him. We're going to worship something. We are creatures who are made in God's image, and we are relational. And so we are going to put our love, put our trust, we'll put our devotion into something. And God wants us to put it into him. We're supposed to worship him only, right? The Ten Commandments, the Lord, the Lord your God, and you're not worship any other God except me. No other thing can meet your need. No one else is, is true who is truly the creator. And so he made us. To worship him, and it's fitting for us to praise him like we've done this morning in song. Praise the Lord with the heart. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Sing to him a new song and play skillfully. It matters. You, you do your best. Play skillfully and shout for joy. We're supposed to worship this God and praise him. So right up front, the psalm starts out with your heart of devotion. Are you going to worship God? Are you going to put him at the place that he needs to be in priority of your life. So this Lord is worthy of praise. The next thing I noticed is that this Lord is, he is right, true, and faithful. Yahweh is a person who is right, true, and faithful. He's not capricious or fickle or crooked or corrupt or mean-spirited or evil or or anything like that. He is right, true, and faithful. Look at how the psalmist says it. For the word of the Lord is right and true. So when he speaks, he speaks the truth. He doesn't lie and lead you on. He doesn't, 
say something and hold it back. God does not want us to be confused about who he is. He doesn't say that this is true and then something else that completely contradicts it is true at the same time. He, would, he doesn't speak with a forked tongue. His words are true. They're right and true. And whenever we're confused about what God is saying, the problem is us in our coming to the text with a preconceived notion or not understanding. But God never is confusing. He never contradicts himself. And he's faithful in all that he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the whole earth is full of his unfailing love. God has demonstrated his goodness even to the wicked. He sends his reign on the just and the unjust, Jesus tells us. And so God is right and true. He is a good person. He's a good God. So he's worthy of praise. He's right, true, and faithful. And the third thing I notice about the Lord is that he is the creator He's the one from whom all this came. Now, if I was going to write a, a, a resume for God, I would have started with this one. I think this is a pretty important point. But uh, the psalmist puts it in, in this order, the third item he points out. But look at how God is the creator. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He didn't have to gather up a bunch of minerals and pack them into some black hole or, you know, singularity and then make it somehow. He just caused it all to be by his own power. And how is that power manifested? It's manifested through the breath of his mouth. He said a word, let there be light. And there was light. And so he created these things. And look at this, how he describes the ocean. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. How does God do that? He evaporates the water and puts it into these big storehouses, these cumulonimbus clouds, right? The thunderstorm, and he brings them over the land and he pours the deep out onto the dry ground, the hydrocycle. And so God gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He controls everything. And then let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. You cannot be in proper relationship with God without fearing who he is and understanding his power and might. He's to be. I can't make my heart beat. I can't make it beat one more time than my time that is allotted. I'm dependent. I'm finite. I can barely control anything. But he does. He controls everything. Even the things that I think are secondary, like, like storms or or politics, or enemies, or my relationship with Tammy, all these things, they're not under my control. He controls all causes, primary, secondary, and tertiary. He's the God of all things. He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. What a person to know. I, I know him a little, and I will know him more and more throughout eternity. And I haven't had a face-to-face uh, -face conversation with him, although I probably had a more intimate one in my spirit, right? I mean, there's no lacking of God's presence. But can you, do you realize what a privilege it is to know the person who stood, who, who just commanded and it stood firm? To say, why did you make the mountains this way? Why did you make so many we were at the, we went to Boulder Ridge uh, Zoo, Animal Park yesterday, and uh, Emily kind of made the joke, you know, 
God makes a lot of different kinds of deer. Why did he make so many kinds of antelope and deer and you know, long twisted horns and white ones and brown ones? And then I start thinking, and then birds. What did he do so many birds for? And then fish, good grief, you know? So much variety. He just commanded it, and it happens. It's fun to talk to him. So the Lord is worthy of praise. He's right, true, and faithful, and he's the creator. And then the other, the fourth thing that I noticed the psalmist says is that he's the ruler of the earth. So he, he got it all in motion. He created it, but he didn't just walk away. No, he's still intimately involved. He still is ruling the earth. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. Why didn't he say, why didn't the psalmist say the Lord um, causes the plans of the nations? Why didn't he say that? Because most of the plans of the nations, most of the plans of the people are against God. We've been in rebellion rebellion against him since Genesis chapter 3. We are a rebellious people, all of us, all of us. And in groups, we're even more rebellious. We just follow the mob. And all of history is full of, of plans. Think of the first time they decided, we're not going to do what God said after the flood. And so we're, we're not going to spread all over the earth. We're going to make our own tower. We're going to make a tower of Babel up to the heavens. We're going to set ourselves up. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And God looks down from heaven and laughs. And he foils their plan. How did he foil his plan? I got one for you. Bang. Now you all speak different languages. Try that one on, smarty pants. Right? And so it just foils the plan. He thwarted the purposes of those people. They tried to unite and rebel against God, and he thwarted their plans. How many times in the Bible, how many times in history have, have people tried to set up attacks and tried to set up control and tried to set up their own kingdom? And, and like Jesus tells the story about the rich man who, who gathered everything into barns so, so that he could live as, you know, sit back and relax now that he'd accumulated it all. And God thwarts his plan. Tonight, your soul will be demanded of you. And what good is all those possessions now? You know, death is the ultimate plan thwarter. But look at all of the attempts that we've made as people all through history. How many times have... have uh, have enemies come upon Israel and God just rescued them? Or how many times did the people of Israel call out to God, oh, save us, save us, and God brought judgment on them because of their wickedness? Well, we've been learning in Jeremiah from Pastor Steve that, that you can't rebel against God over and over and over. He's committed by his covenant to bring judgment in our lives and, and all of the plans to make yourself secure and to call Egypt for help and to have different kinds of, you know, ceremonies or religious things. And, oh, we're going to be safe now. And foosh, is that a word? It's a sound, right? God thwarts the plans. It doesn't stand. There, this... This truth has been true in the lives of human beings for all of history. We're always looking to somehow the strength of people or the strength of our own wisdom or the strength of our fort or the strength of our alliances or the strength of how smart we are or how good the scientists are. We're always looking for solutions and, it's, and we're always afraid of everything. We're always afraid of the enemy. We're afraid of disease. We're afraid of what happens if... What happens if Congress changes control? What happens if somebody else is in office? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And God says, Psh, 
I was king when Nero was the emperor. I was king when Babylon was in charge of Daniel. I was king when Assyria took the people away into exile. I was king when they crucified Jesus, and I'm king in 2020. And quit worrying about it. I thwart the plans of the nations. I thwart the purposes of the peoples. You can't make it happen. See, God's in control. But the plans of the Lord, oh, that's different. They stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. God worked all through history and his plan has never, ever been broken. I will produce a seed of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. Oh, but Cain killed Abel. I'll bring about Seth. Oh, Abraham can't have a baby. I'll bring a miracle baby through Sarah. Oh, Rachel can't have a baby. Isaac can pray. Or Rebecca. And uh, Rebecca has Jacob and Esau. On and on it goes. Oh, the people are going to die of famine. I'm going to send Joseph down into Egypt and prepare a people. I'm going to rescue them out of Egypt. Oh, no, oh, no, no. God's plans are firm forever. And David has a son. And David's great descendant is the Lord Jesus. And Satan brings every force he can. The Roman Empire, the Jewish uh, rulers, the religious council, the, the Pharisees, they crucified Jesus to destroy God's plan. Jesus said, no. Let this cup pass from me, Father, if there's any way, but not my will, yours be done. And the plan of God from all eternity came to be. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And he rose from the dead the third day. They tried to put a soldier outside. And God thwarts the plans of the people. And, and Jesus raises from the dead. And the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. And Jesus is still king. And so that's, that's, those are good things to know. No wonder the psalmist says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed the people who he chose for his inheritance. And you and I are part of that inheritance in Christ, right? We're, we're the descendants of Abraham through faith. We have Abraham's faith. We're not bloodline from Abraham, but we're, 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 we're grafted in. We're part of the people of God. Even as Gentiles, we have the privilege of being a people that God chose for his inheritance. Can you believe that? That God chose me to be an inheritance? I'm a co-heir with Jesus, the Bible says. The one who owns it all is my brother. And his dad, my dad, the, he owns it all and his, his inheritance is going to be given to us all. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And so it's a great blessing. So that's who the Lord is. He's worthy of praise. He's right and true and faithful. He's the creator. He's the ruler of all the earth. And so the second thing I notice in this psalm, that's the Lord. The second thing I said uh, notices that now that we've been introduced and we understand who this, this God is, this person is, the psalmist wants to remind us he's watching. He's watching us. Look how he says it. From heaven, Yahweh looks down and sees all humankind. So God sees us all. And from his dwelling place, he watches those who live on earth. And then look at how it says in verse 15, he who forms the hearts of all, and considers everything they do. And so this God creator, he's the one who formed your heart, not just your body, but he formed your personness, your soul, your, your emotions, your, your will, the, 
the different uh, ways of thinking that you have. And he knows how you're built. He built you. He made you the person you are. I, this is so phenomenal to me that I'm a person and I know it. And my personness has been since my birth. And, and I, uh, I'll be a person forever. And I'll, as a per, I, get, I get to be me and experience God forever. And God formed my heart and he considers everything I do. I thought about an illustration of having one of you come up here and sit in a chair. Uh, and I, I was, it would be too torturous. But it, just pretend that I had one of you come up and sit in a chair. And then we all decided to just watch you and consider everything you do. Why is he, why is he rubbing his arm? Why did he do that? Oh, he started to laugh. Why did he laugh? And we would just watch and watch and watch and analyze everything you did. What would it, what would it feel like? <laughs> It'd be horrible. But God is watching everything and he knows our hearts. And he, why, do you, uh, why do you drive that way home? Why, do you, why are you nicer to that person than you are to the other person? God knows. Nobody else does. You might even lie to yourself, but God knows. Why do you delete that link from your browser history? Who are you hiding that from? Why do you delete that text message that you sent or received from somebody? Who are you hiding that from? Why do you watch that TV show anyway. Right? God's watching all he considered. You think we, we, I can lie to myself, all right? I, I trick myself all the time. I'm, I'm trying to run. I'm trying to learn how to run with some level of admirable endurance. I, I'm embarrassed to say, I just want you to admire how far I can run, but I cannot, all right? And I'll be running along and I'm huffing and puffing and I'm at the mile mark and I want to try to go two miles today, but you know, I haven't yet this year and, and I'm getting to mile and a quarter and all of a sudden I'm walking. I don't even know who decided to start, stop running. Why am I, oh, because oh, I'm out of breath. But I wasn't, I, I just quit and I lied to myself that I had to quit or I was going to die. God, God knows what I'm doing and he's not deceived. And he watches everything we do and it's kind of scary. It's kind of, it's kind of uh, more than I can take in some ways. And so that kind of leads me to my next point is, can I endure his gaze? Can we stand it? To, to, have, uh, to have this person who formed us and knows everything that's going on and can read my thoughts and how uncomfortable it would be to sit in this chair and have you guys all watch me or watch one of us, right? How much worse to have all of our thoughts projected on the screen and can we stand it? It's horrible. The philosophers have argued that this is proof that there is no God because they can't stand to be treated as an object like that, to be observed is to objectify a person and to make them feel like they aren't a person. And they couldn't stand it so much that they resented the idea that God would be watching them all the time 
and rejected God based on that because we're selfish. You know, there's a person who came to earth and, and God watched everything he did. The Lord Jesus, God watched everything he did. He watched him play with his siblings. He watched him work in his home for his mom and dad. He, he watched him uh, conduct his business. He watched him proclaim his ministry to the world and, and to be baptized by John the Baptist. And he watched him forgive people's sins and, and heal people. He watched him touch a leper. He watched him let a woman touch him. He, let, he watched God, God watched Jesus let a prostitute wash his feet with her hair. God watched everything that was going on all the time. And Jesus was perfect under the gaze of God. Isn't that something? I mean, no human being could convict him of any sin. That's pretty amazing too, right? He told his enemies, what have I done wrong? Show me my sin. But that's nothing. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He is acceptable to me. And the Lord Jesus endured the perfect analyzing holy gaze of God his whole life and went up on the cross and died for you and I so that if we would trust him and believe in him, God would take Jesus's righteousness and put it on our account and look at me, look at you through that filter. Jesus makes the gaze of God the gaze of a loving father. My sin is paid for. And God sees my sin, but it's not with the eye of judgment anymore. It's already paid for, and he's helping to change me into the Lord Jesus. You see, I can stand the gaze of God because I'm in Christ. And in Christ, I'm without fault, Colossians 1, without fault and free from accusation. From you, from Satan, from myself, from anybody else, you cannot accuse me. I'm perfect in Jesus. Praise God. And so we can stand the gaze of God because of the gospel. So the Lord is mighty and amazing. He is watching, and we can endure his gaze because of Jesus. But the last question I want to ask is, do we see ourselves now? How do I know whether or not I am really trusting God? I don't know how to, do I see myself for the way I really am? How can I discern? Is there a way for me to know whether I'm walking in this gospel truth? What would be a, a leading indicator? In, in my world as an engineer, there's this uh, science called statistical process control, and it's a way of, of looking at different manufacturing processes, and you look for a single or several variables that tell you whether the process is working correctly. And if the process is working correctly, you have a greater degree of confidence that the output is high-quality products. And so you find a leading indicator, and then you monitor that indicator on a regular basis. And if the indicator stays within a range, you have a greater degree of confidence that everything's working out great. All right? So what would be a leading indicator? What would be your 
SPC, statistical process control, what would be your SPC variable as a Christian? How would you know whether or not you've got this gospel part figured out? And I think the psalmist has some answers there. So let me show the, the next verse after this watching us. The, the psalmist says, No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. Let me read those again. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. So these are political powers, military powers, right? An army, a king, a warrior, his strength, a horse, which is in the psalmist day would probably be the most uh, powerful, one of the most powerful weapons of war, right? You can ride up a horse, a charioteer, a, a cavalry, and, um, and, but it's a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, the horse is a powerful animal. It could scare you big, you know? Like uh, in the movie uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, he says they're, they're scary on both ends and tricky in the middle or something like that, right? They're, they're, they can hurt you. And so despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. So the psalmist is saying the things that we tend to count on for our deliverance, for our safety, those things are vain. So, but in contrast, the eyes of the Lord, we're talking about God watching us, right? The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Do you see the, contra the uh, contrast? How do I know whether I'm trusting God or not? Well, what are you worried about and where are you going for the answer? That's, that's the question. You're worried about what's going to happen in November. Oh, it's going to be awful, I can tell you that. And there's all kinds of scenarios that terrify us. Our country's going down the tubes. Where are you going? For your answer, a king is a vain hope. The army of the king is a horse cannot save. Now, this question seems to be, oh, pastor, you're just pulling it out of context, applying it to this day and age because it ticks or it'll preach. No, no, no. This has been going on through all of history. There's nothing different. People have been trusting in political powers or man-made solutions forever, trying to figure out a way to get through their problems. And it's always been part of our problem is we're so afraid of things. It's the way it has always been. I sort of think that my life, my particular time zone, has been sort of a charmed life. I haven't had to go through a world war. I haven't gone through severe, huge famine. I mean, the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life, so I think, in the world is... 9-11 maybe, or this, this, this current year of this quarantine. I mean, it's kind of, from the, if you look at all of history, it's a pretty puny list of sufferings compared to the things our world has gone through in history. Huge disasters, huge uh, actions of oppression and violence. I, I, I've got an easy, easy life. I, 
I have to apologize to all of my predecessor believers in Christ who have suffered way more than me throughout history. I'm not afraid to lose my life. Good grief. Just, I heard a uh, podcast this week about the history of the, um, the English Reformation and King Henry VIII and how King Henry had wanted a descendant, kept going through wives, trying to get a male descendant, and it switched from Catholicism to Henry's Protestantism, and then his son Edward became a Protestant, and then his daughter Mary, Queen of Scott, Bloody Mary, turned it back to Catholicism, and, and hundreds of Christians, hundreds of Protestants died at the stake. And then Mary's the, you know, the next generation, it's Elizabeth, and they all swoop back in and back. Just in one guy's lifetime, and in his small descent, the whole uh, religious system of England swings back and forth, these huge extremes and persecution. I've never had to face anything like that. And so the question is, who am I trusting? Am I trusting in the strength of a horse or am I trusting in God to deliver me from death? And so the eyes of the Lord, he considers everything we do and he knows who I'm trusting and that's the litmus test. That's your SPC control. Who are you trusting? Look how he says, this is what we should do. We wait and hope for the Lord, amen? He is our help and shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. This is where we go. I, it doesn't mean I don't care. It means I don't, I don't fret. I, there's a difference, and you got to know, where are you trusting? Are you trusting God to run the show? He always has been. He thwarts the plans of the people. He shows himself strong. But we wait and hope for the Lord. He's our help and shield. In him our hearts rejoice. And if we trust in his holy name, may your unfailing love, this is our prayer, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Amen? Do you follow? I, I, I hope that we can apply that to our lives. Verse 22, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. How about you say it with me? May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. So the Lord is great. He is watching. We can endure his great gaze because we're in Christ. Apart, of, apart from Christ, we have only judgment. And do we see? Are we trusting him? Our hope is in you. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for delivering us from ourselves, our selfishness. May we be a people who put our hope in you Forgive us for the times that we put our hope in whatever the horse of our day and age might be. Even though it has great strength, your word tells us it's a vain hope. Our hope is in you. We trust you. You are the one who can split the skies at any moment and say, come and we will come. And so we thank you for your great goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us now as we sing our closing song. Amen. Great are you, Lord. He, he is such a great Savior. What a privilege to get to know and talk to the Creator. You know, I, I wonder if there is anyone who's not a believer, what a message this could be to hear that God is watching and considering everything they do. And I just would encourage you that if you've never met Jesus yet, to come to him and to experience the forgiveness of sin and the washing away of that record and, and the fact that God can 
love you through the eyes of a forgiving father instead of your just judge, and you can be saved. What a blessing that is to be among those that his breath is in our lungs for praise and not for the end of our judgment. Well, again, thank you so much for coming today. Encourage other people to come. I think it's okay, and, uh, and we'll be glad to see you again next week. You're dismissed.